0: welcome to the skyline sib podcast we're so grateful that you're taking time to tune in from your busy schedule we hope that this message encourages and inspires you wherever you are listening from now here is an inspiring message by pastor joshua xiao welcome everybody who's joining us today welcome to this uh, skyline family online Um, and uh, it's so great to be here with you today. As I start, I want to talk about something that has been buzzing on my social media, um, and that's about the Tokyo Olympics. And uh, you know what? (laughs) Maybe you've been following this as well. Why don't you tell us in the chat, you know, so many events that have been going on, which are the ones that interest you? For me, it would be badminton and uh, basketball, but there's things like track and field, gymnastics, uh, climbing, fencing, so many other things. Why don't you let us know right now in the chat what you've been following and and what's been exciting for you in the Olympics. And if you've not caught any of it yet, well, there's still a chance for you to get in on the action. Today, I think uh, at night is the closing ceremony of the Olympics, and that's sure to be something to watch out for. But uh, you know what, as exciting as the Olympics have been in the past couple of weeks, the lead-up to the Olympics have been equally uh, exciting and, if I may say so, a little bit dramatic as well. Um, The day before the opening ceremony, for instance, uh, this man, Kentaro Kobayashi, was fired. He was the director of the opening ceremony for the Olympics. One day before he was fired. Why? Because it surfaced that 23 years ago, he made an off-color joke about the Holocaust uh, while he was uh, a comedian. And so he was fired because of that. But not only this instance, but in February, earlier in this year, uh, this other man, Uh, That you may or may not have heard, Yoshiro Mori, he was the head of the Olympic Organizing Committee. He had to step down because he made a sexist comment about women. And around a month later, this man Kigo Oyamada, who was the composer of the opening ceremony for the Olympics, also had to step down when it was surfaced that in his school days, he actually bullied schoolmates that had disabilities. Events such as these and more have prompted comments that the woke culture has descended upon the Olympics. Now, if you're wondering, what is this woke culture? Why this funny grammar (laughs) and things like that? Well, in general, nowadays, being woke is about being aware and being actively um, attentive to important issues such as things like race, sexuality, you know, gender, slavery, poverty, and all these kinds of things. The idea here is that in order to address problems in this area, you need to be aware about it first. You need to be woke about it. And that's a good thing, right? Except when incidences uh, will, will, will bring divisiveness, when people suddenly judge harshly others that may not hold the same kind of opinions as them, giving birth to a new culture that we sometimes call the cancel culture. If you don't know what this is, again, no worries. I think the graphics are a little bit self-explanatory, but don't worry. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more later on. My point is this. As Christians, Issues of race and social injustice are close to our heart. And and, and so on some level, you know, being woke resonates with us because we desire to see justice and righteousness prevail. The question, therefore, is how then do we respond in such a way that we don't misjudge others? Is there a better way? And the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. As we continue today in the series on the Sermon on the Mount, we are now at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. And Jesus talks about this whole area of judging rightly. I've titled this message, Judging Rightly in a Woke World. He has so much to say that is relevant in the culture we live in today. And He answers for us three questions. Number one, can we even judge others? Is it our place to do so? And if yes, then how then should we judge? And ultimately, what needs to change? I'll buckle your seatbelts and hang on tight. Let's dive right into this and read together the first two verses. Let's go. So, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Can we even judge others? It seems like the answer is really obvious here, isn't it? But what does Jesus mean when He says, do not judge? Because He can't mean that we don't make judgments about what is wrong and right in this world. Neither can you mean that we cannot form conclusions about other people. I mean, we do this all the time, right? Uh, for, for example, you're a business person or employer or, or even hiring a babysitter. You have to make a judgment call. You have to evaluate a person's suitability based on their experience, their, their background, you know, their character, their culture fit, the chemistry, all these things. You have to make a judgment call. Not anyone will do. And let's talk about our entire judiciary system with judges, lawyers, jury, and all these kinds of things. They have to pass a verdict on, on, on the defendant based on, on evidence presented, based on the arguments presented, all these kinds of things. And, and let's not forget, if, if you're looking for a spouse, for instance, you're not just going to marry any person along the street, are you? Hopefully not. <laughs> we need... To judge. In John 7, verses 24, Jesus says this. It says, Look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly, which implies you do need to judge, but you need to judge correctly, and therefore you need to have due diligence when you judge a few verses down Jesus himself makes a judgment about about people and we'll come to that later and so with this in mind what is the real issue here what is really Jesus trying to say when he says do not judge he is talking here about having a judgmental spirit a self-righteous attitude, condemning others, looking down on others, thinking that we are better than them. James echoes this sentiment when he talks about negative kind of judgment in James, right? James 4 verses 11 and 12, it says, don't speak evil against each other. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. And so what right do you have To judge your neighbor. Jesus expressly forbids having a judgmental, self-righteous attitude. And he gives us two very compelling reasons why. Firstly, every believer will be called to give an account before the Lord for their conduct here on earth. How did we spend our time? Were we faithful to God's call? How do we treat others here on Earth? Second Corinthians verses five to 10, it says, "For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for good and evil we have done in the earthly body." And we've seen the same line of thought in the Sermon on the Mount so far, right? Just in chapter 6, we were reading things like, do, do not, uh, when you give, don't give publicly because you will lose your reward in heaven. You see, earthly deeds, heavenly consequence, right? It says, when you pray, in verse 6, pray to your Father in private and He will reward you. Again, you see the correlation there? In 19 and, uh, verses 19 and 20, it says, don't store treasures Here on earth, instead, store them where? In heaven. And so we can sense here that, you see, that that our actions here on earth does have an effect on our eternal destiny. You see, it won't determine whether we go to heaven or hell because we're all saved by grace through faith. But there is an evaluation that decides what happens to us in the realm of glory. Jesus says, you too will be judged And on that same line of thought, he gives a second compelling reason why we must not have a judgmental spirit. And he says this, that how we judge others will set the standard for our own judgment. Isn't that a sobering thought? The way in which you measure, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Are you harsh and overbearing towards others? Well, then God will judge you harshly. Are you you loving and merciful towards others? Do you have a generous spirit? Do you overlook the faults of others? Well, then Jesus will show you mercy. God will treat us as we treat others. It reminds me of this story of a couple who moved into a new neighborhood, right? And um, the next day, at breakfast, they see the neighbor hanging out the laundry. And um, the, the wife makes a comment because she sees the laundry and she says, "'It's, it's still dirty. I mean, my goodness.'" they uh, call this a wash. And, and she says, like, somebody needs to teach her how to do laundry properly. Look at all that, that, that brown tint on the, on the clothes. And, and maybe she needs to change the brand of a, of a washing detergent. She makes comments like this. And the husband just looks on and stays silent. Now uh, This carries on for weeks on end. And every time the neighbor just hangs clothes outside, the wife uh, makes the same comment. Until one day, At breakfast, she exclaims to her husband, she says, look, look, the clothes, they're clean. Somebody, you know, she's finally learned how to do laundry correctly. I wonder who taught her that. And the husband says, well, today I woke up early in the morning and I cleaned the windows. (laughs) It's funny how when we judge others, sometimes it has a way of coming back on us, isn't it? How much more then should we be careful in judging when we know our earthly actions, our earthly judgments can affect our eternal destiny? How then should we judge rightly? Well, Jesus gives us two vivid pictures that guide us on how exactly to do that. Verses 3 and 4, it says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your eye? You hypocrite, he says. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. How should we judge? Well, firstly, we need to judge with humility. Before we begin to pass judgment on someone else, we need to start with ourselves. I mean, it's a funny picture, isn't it, that that Jesus paints for us? Uh, what, what, What is a plank compared to a tiny speck of sawdust? It's a funny but brilliant point that Jesus is trying to make that our own faults and our own failures should loom large in front of us compared to the faults of other people. Why is this? Because we know ourselves best. Isn't that true? We know the things we've done wrong. We know the things that we're ashamed about. We know our own weaknesses, things that we hide from our friends, our colleagues, our close ones, our family members, even our spouse. And should, so shouldn't our own faults loom large before us, before anyone else? How should we judge with humility? You know, Barna Research Uh, young adults who don't attend church. And this is what they found. They saw Christians as judgmental and hypocritical, among other things. What were they looking for instead? They were looking for authenticity, keeping it real, as they would say, not pretending to be something or someone you are not and being open about your faults. You see, the message of Christianity isn't that we are perfect, that we have it all together, that we can meet and live by these high standards that are called upon us. No, it is that we have received the grace and forgiveness that it, Jesus freely offers to anyone who would receive. And we have received this in spite of our failures. With the message of the gospel like that, there, there is no room for arrogance. There there is no room for, for judgmental criticism, condemning, and looking down on others. When we judge, we start with ourselves. And even when we do have to judge, we do it with extreme. Care. I mean, the eye is one of the most sensitive organs in the body. If you've, you've, you probably have this before, right? A speck of dust in your eye or eyelash or whatnot, your whole thing uh, tears up. I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to take a, a knife and just cuff it out? No. You're not going to take a plank or a piece of wood. You're not even going to jab your eye in there and try and dig it out, right? You, that this just doesn't, you're going to take a tissue or and try to gently get it out. Or, or if you're helping somebody else, you would carefully. Gently blow. When we do point out the failings of others, it must be done with extreme care. And here's the other lesson about the plank and the speck of dust. It is this: that our vision is impaired. Jesus says, "You have a plank in your eye all the time. Oftentimes, we can't see the whole picture. Of what's going on. We don't know the person's background, their experience, where they're coming from, what they're really trying to say. All of these things is is blind to us. Reminds me of of an incident in this book called Seven Habits of Effective People, written by Stephen Covey. And he talks about an incident in the subway, the train in New York. It was a Sunday morning and things were, were, were peaceful. He was in the train. And, and people were, were just reading a newspaper, right? And some of them were just lying, uh, sitting there with their eyes closed. It was peaceful. It was quiet. Until at one stop, a man came in with his children. Now, the man sat next to Stephen Covey and, uh, you know, he just closed his eyes, completely oblivious to his children that came in with him. Now, his children were rowdy. They were loud. They were screaming at each other. They were grabbing the newspapers uh, out of people's hands. And Stephen Covey says this. He says, I couldn't believe he could be so insensitive. Eventually, he couldn't tahan, just Malaysianizing. He couldn't stand it anymore. What he felt was an unusual patience. He turned to him and said, sir, your children are disturbing people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. And the man lifts his gaze as if he saw the situation for the first time. Oh, you're right, he said softly. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Stephen Covey writes, suddenly, I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with compassion. Your wife just died. Oh, I'm so sorry. Could you tell me more about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. Jesus said, remove the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, church, our task as Christians is not to come down on others and judge harshly, but to come alongside them as a brother or a sister or a friend. When we judge, we judge with humility. And here's the second thing. When we judge, we also judge with discernment. Let's go on to the next uh, picture that Jesus gives us in verse 6. He says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Now, I know you're hearing this probably, and, and you might say, wow, Jesus, that's really strong language you're using here, to talking about people. Before you start judging Jesus and, uh, for, for, for what He's saying, let me just give you some context so that you can see a bit better, all right? Now, first thing you need to understand is this. To his Jewish audience in those days, dogs and and, and pigs, they weren't just unclean uh, animals that you would have nothing to do with. But he's also referring to not the domestic kind, but the wild, fierce, and dangerous, hostile kind. All right? They they, they aren't just gentle, loving, and, and, and pets. And that's why you can see such a violent reaction over here. But the second thing... Um, is that in those days, pearls were actually more valuable than diamonds. And so Jesus was talking here about the most valuable thing that we possess as his disciples. And what is that? It is the message of the gospel. Now you put those two things together, Jesus is not saying that we are supposed to withhold the gospel or not share the gospel with a certain group of people, especially those who are hostile or opposed to it. No, but he is giving a warning to say that not everyone, there's a typo there, not everyone will see the value of the gospel and receive it. And if you try, if you try and force the gospel onto them and, they, and, and, and you try and, and just prove yourself right, they may turn on you, trample you, and tear you to pieces. Now you look at this and, and you say, well, uh, then what can we do in such situation? If we're not supposed uh, to, to do that and, and uh, we can't force the gospel, how can we reach these people? Well, two things. Number one, know that everyone has their own story. Our job is to be be discerning, to have the wisdom to know where they are on that journey of meeting and discovering Jesus and meet them there. But secondly, to love them, pray for them, and live out your Christian witness before them. This is what we should do, right? But what often happens instead? What often happens is, is that, that we shore up our case, we find arguments, we try and prove them wrong, we try and say, you know, this is why you are wrong and I am right. We come in in a, in a brute force, cookie-cutter way and when they turn on us, when they tear us apart, you know, we, we, we just feel so valiant. We pat ourselves in the back and say, oh, we're so noble because we're suffering for Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, you need to be discerning. You need to have wisdom. And what we do is not only do we put ourselves on a high horse, but we start to write people off, considering them as a lost cause. And that's tragic. You know what? It's funny when we begin to write people off like this. How our lens, the way we see people just begins to change. We see everything they do in a negative light. I remember uh, in school, I used to have this really good friend, and one day he just got on my nerves, and, and you know what, I took offense of that, I took deep offense of that, and the thing here is that I refuse to let it go. I refused to let it go. And this friend of mine, you know what? He did all that he could to apologize. He did what he could to, to mend the bridges and, and you know, go over and above to try and make things better. But I refused. I, I, I wrote him off, and as a result, I judged hardly. I saw everything that he did, whether it was like, you know, trying, to, I, I thought he was trying to buy a friendship. I thought he was trying to take advantage of me. I judged harshly, wrongly, All these things were false, and as a result, I lost that friendship. You see, this is the difference between a cancel culture that the world holds and the Christ culture that we are called to live by. A cancel culture will crucify others, but never turn the mirror back on itself. They will shame, they will vilify, they will ridicule, they will put down, but never ever evaluate, have a self-evaluation on their own fault to face. The Christ culture we are called to starts with ourselves and speaks the truth in love. A cancel culture will write off people and without offering a second chance. I mean, if you're canceled, that's it, you're dead to me. You know, boycott, no turning back, you're canceled. Just like a TV subscription, you know. Christ culture is about having wisdom, showing grace. And ultimately, it's about redemption. It's about restoration. And so, what needs to change? We need to firstly wake up and see the true state of our hearts. Do we live? The way that Jesus talks about. Now, if any of us are, are wondering that question ourselves, whether we have that delicate balance of, of, you know, not being afraid to stand up for what is right and in the same time, you know, uh, not self-righteous, not putting people down, not fake, but also not overly harsh. For argument's sake, let's just assume no. <laughs> Why? Because the culture we're in and often even our personalities work against us. I mean, what kind of culture do we live in? We live in an honor and shame culture, right? Where it's all about saving face. How many of you know that's that's not a very good place for honesty, for truth? We cover it, we hide it, we veil it, we shove it under the rug. And when truth does come out, it often comes out razor sharp. I mean, it's true, true, truth, no love, or maybe you're a little bit more of a, a Western culture where it's, it's individualism. Every person has a right to, to hold, have and express their opinion and no one is allowed to judge them for it. But then on the other hand, you have an internet culture, right, that allows each and every one of us to, to, to harshly say some things that, that can crush, that can really, really hurt. Things that oftentimes we might not even say to a person in real life, we need help. Or, or if it's not the culture, maybe it's the personality, which oftentimes fall into one of the extremes. We, we, we might uh, say, for instance, we are the kind of person that shies away from conflict, don't want to rock the boat, and, and not make any judgment at all. We just avoid it altogether. Or, or perhaps we're on the other side, where, where we're all too eager to give our... We say things as it is. That's a nice way of putting it, right? And, and sometimes just for all the wrong reasons. You see, a culture, a personality, it all works against us. We need help. And that's why Jesus opens wide, heaven's gates, and says, ask. Ask. Verse 7 to verses 11, he says this, "'Ask, and it will be given to you. "'Seek, and you will find. "'Knock, and the door will be opened to you. "'For everyone who asks receives. "'The one who seeks finds. "'And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Ask, Jesus says. We can't do this. We need help. If he has a a speck of sawdust, if we have a plank, how are we going to help each other? We need to ask for that grace how do we ask we ask with persistence just says ask and it will be given seek and you find knock keep coming back to god when relationships frustrate you when things don't go your way before you judge keep coming back to god for that grace for that wisdom for that favor that you need with persistence we ask also with the assurance because god says he is our heavenly father if you who are evil know how to give good gifts. And so we never need to worry because God will never give us anything that is evil. And because of that, we can ask, not just with persistence, assurance, but we can ask in faith, knowing that God never makes a mistake. He's sovereign, He's good, He's our Heavenly Father. How does a good God allow bad things to happen for a good reason, for a God? purpose. We need to wake up and see the true state of our hearts and begin to ask for grace for the one who sees the big picture that we don't. And finally, we need to wake up and see Jesus as the pearl of great price. You see, there are going to be times when despite our best efforts, Besides, uh, be, uh, in, in spite of our best intentions, people are still going to turn on us. They're still going to trample and, 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 and tear us to pieces. Jesus knew this. In fact, Jesus experienced this when He came to earth over 2,000 years ago. He is the perfect pearl that was rejected, trampled, and crushed for our sakes. John 1.11 says, His own did not recognize, did not receive Him. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 5, it says that He took our pain, bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and by His wounds, we are healed. You see, in our natural state, all of us are really like the dogs and the pigs. We we don't see Jesus for who He is. We don't see the value, that Jesus is the pearl of great price. Matthew thirteen forty five. Jesus talks about a merchant who is searching for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, the verse says, he went away and does something astounding. He sells everything he had to buy that one pearl. The only way that we are going to become the people that God calls us to be, to speak the truth in love, filled with grace, to judge with humility and discernment is when, when Jesus so captures our hearts that we're willing to set aside everything to follow Him, to have Him above anything else. It is when we come back and see the wonder of what God has done that no longer becomes a transactional kind of relationship with God. It's not about what we can get from God, what He's going to give me. If I do this, then what happens? No, it becomes, how can God use me? And when that happens, when that transformation and that wonder takes place, then we can be The people of grace that live by the golden rule that that Jesus ends with in verse 12. To do to others what you would have them do to you. There's a small yet significant twist to what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking in a negative sense. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't judge other people if you don't want to serve. He says, do unto others a positive. What's the difference? You see, the law can compel a person not to drive recklessly and harm others. But the law can never compel you to give a lift, a ride to somebody else of your own will. That's grace. That's grace. And that's what Jesus calls us to. How we need this how we need to be a community like this, how we need to be transformed by His grace. I wonder how many of us right now, you say, I I want to be part of a community like that. You know, wherever you are, I mean, I can't see it, but in faith, I know your hands are raised right now. How many of you say that I want to be such a person that Jesus is talking about here, to judge rightly, to be filled with grace, to have humility and discernment? Just raise both your hands if you can right now because we are going to pray. Let's bow our heads right now. Thank you, Lord. You're just speaking to us right now, right into the very depths of our hearts. Lord, today, some of us have been on the other side of judgment. We have been judged. We have been trampled upon. people have turned on us they've torn us apart despite all the best that we've tried to do. Today, bring us back. Bring us back to, to the wonder of what you've done for us. Capture our hearts once again, O oh God. We ask. We ask for your grace. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your healing right now, O oh God, for those of us who have experienced hurts and offenses in any of these areas, oh God, help us by your Spirit to become a people of grace that speak the truth in love, that judge rightly in humility and discernment, to lift up, to build and not tear down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, right now in, in this, in this uh, atmosphere, I just want to end with an invitation. Today, I know, uh, you know, different people are listening to this, tuning in. I wonder if some of you are listening and you identify with that merchant. You have been searching for fine pearls, truths of all sorts. You've been looking for answers. But today, like that merchant, you have found Jesus and you recognize, your eyes have been opened, you see Him as the pearl of great price and you are ready today to set aside everything to have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, well, I'm going to pray a simple prayer after this and want to, I want to invite you to say along this prayer with me to seal that decision. And as you do that, you are receiving the grace and forgiveness that Jesus freely offers and you are joining a family, a body of Christ that is on this journey of faith together. And we want to walk that journey with you. And so right now, if that is your desire, um, you know, Let's pray this simple prayer together. It's going to be on the screen. And so you can say that aloud on your heart. Maybe you're in a public place or whatnot. But just seal this decision in your heart as we say this. Pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, today I want to make the decision to follow you. I believe you paid the price for my sins on the cross. Cover me with your grace and wash me clean. Fill me with your love and do a work of transformation in me. You are my Lord and Savior from today onwards. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hallelujah. Wow, you know what? If you made that decision today, I want to be the first to welcome you into the family of God. Today is a day of celebration. And you know what? We're online. We can't greet you physically, but we do want to reach out so that we can encourage you, pray with you, and help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. So would you allow us uh, to do that and 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 uh, uh, help us by scanning the QR code right now on the screen. It's going to be there or, or you can go to skyline.com uh, slash next step. And, uh, and as, you, as you go there, there's going to be a form that allows us to just have a few basic details so that we can reach out to you. We would really, really love to welcome you into this family and to connect with you. And so uh, do that. We can't wait. We're just waiting on the other side of the line right now uh, for you to do that. God bless you all, every one of you all. Have a great week ahead and stay well. Thanks for listening. This is the Skyline SIB podcast and stay tuned for the next episode. Visit our website at www.skylinesib.com and say hello. Drop us a prayer request or leave us a question. Want to know what's up and coming with our church? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. It's Skyline SIB. Let's connect. God bless and have a great week.